This is Saster's Founders Favorite Series, where you can hear some of the best of the best from Saster speakers. This is where the cloud meets. The future of work is here, and Owl Labs has the advanced tech you need to empower remote and hybrid teams. Their award-winning 360-degree smart conferencing camera, the Meeting Owl Pro, boasts 1080p resolution and a crystal clear tri-speaker system to ensure that everyone is seen and heard. Read more on Owl Labs and the Work From Anywhere movement at owllabs.com. We're already counting down to Saster Annual 2020. For our loyal podcast listeners, we want to give you $100 off towards your ticket. Just buy your ticket using code FAVE100. Up today, Bessemer Venture Partners partner, Alex Ferreira. So I'm really super excited to be here today. I am really passionate about cloud, so are my partners at Bessemer. Uh, it's great to be in a room with other people that are also really passionate about cloud. And uh, you know, we have participated in Saster, uh, I think, five times now, uh, and yet this is the first time we're doing Saster Europa. So I'm really pumped about uh, the opportunity to uh, present to you today. And you know, personally, I'm really interested in this topic because while I'm based in the U.S., I would say about half of my investments have some tie to Europe. And the reason for that is I have a, a personal sort of deep conviction that uh, Silicon Valley and the Bay Area have no monopoly on innovation. Uh, and we have been seeing, and I think we'll continue to see, uh, great founders, great innovative companies, uh, great enduring companies emerge uh, from around the world, uh, from Europe and elsewhere. And so it's my privilege to, to be here today and, and talk to you through uh, or present to you our uh, State of the Cloud Europa edition. Uh, and so what I'm going to do is talk a little bit about uh, what we've seen over the course of the last year and then also talk uh, about you know, some, um, uh, some metrics we track or we encourage our founders to track as they're building their businesses. And then lastly, try to go through a few, uh, a few predictions uh, for, for the next couple of years. Uh, we're going to do uh, Q&A also via Slido. Uh, and there's a link that they're going to flash up here that you can use if you want to submit questions. So there it is. Um, all right, so let's dive in. Um, so the first thing I want to do uh, is actually uh, quickly take you back a little bit to a time before Saster. Uh, a little more than 10 years ago, uh, we released our 10 laws of cloud computing. And it was done at a conference that was a lot smaller than this one in a room of probably 50 or 60 of the leading private and public cloud CEOs and founders at that time. And uh, I, the question I posed to you is at that time is, um, you know, how many billion-dollar companies, billion-dollar private unicorns do you think were, were in existence at that time? Does anyone have a guess? How many unicorns were there? We've got a couple of zeros, maybe a one, uh, and you're absolutely right. So um, at that time, there were zero unicorns. And it probably shouldn't be a surprise because in the entire history of cloud computing at that point, there had been exactly zero companies that had managed to achieve a billion-dollar or better valuation in the, uh, in the private markets. Uh, and I make this point, um, you know, because I want to illustrate how far we've come, and I want to do that with the next question, which is, how many billion-dollar private cloud companies do you think there are today? So 10 years later, uh, maybe by a show of hands, you know, raise your hand if you think there are more than 10, uh, 10 unicorns. All right, let's you know, keep, them, keep them up. You think there are more than 20 unicorns. How about 40 unicorns? 
Let's see a few hands going down. 50? A few more. 60. Does anyone think there are more than 60? All right. So the answer is there are actually 61 uh, cloud unicorns. We'll flash them up. Many of these names that you know. Uh, and this is actually the largest we've seen in history. Uh, I think it's a really staggering stat. And as a, you know, before I joined the venture capital industry, I many years ago was a software developer and I worked for a startup around the 2000 time period. And I, I think about this stat today and I just remember working at uh, a startup as a co-founder and thinking, you know, it, how fantastic would it be if we could scale that business and ultimately go public at a billion dollar valuation? And what's amazing to me is that these days a billion dollars is often uh, you know, a healthy Series C round on the way to an IPO. So, you know, the market really has has grown quite a bit. Um, you know, the cloud software industry has changed. It's not just the number of unicorns. I think it's also uh, very telling uh, when you think back 10 years ago to a time when Amazon was actually still a retail business. And this is one of my, you know, favorite tweets as of late. Uh, you know, it was around that time, about 12 years ago, that Jeff Bezos launched AWS. And some of you may remember that when he did this, uh, Wall Street analysts were looking at him and saying, why would you take what's already a very unprofitable business and drive it further into the red by investing in this AWS initiative? And what's amazing to see is that, you know, now 12 years later, uh, AWS is really what's driving their business. So this analyst, Artie Levy from CNBC, took the Amazon earnings transcript from earlier this year, and he actually counted the words, counted the number of times that words like AWS or retail or Alexa were mentioned. Retail was mentioned twice. That's it. And AWS was mentioned 78 times. So probably not surprising uh, that they're doing this. If I was CEO of a company and I had two business lines, one of which was uh, a low-margin retail business and the other of which was a high-growth, high-margin cloud business, which one would I be promoting? Obviously, the cloud business. And so you know, I think we've seen over the last decade that AWS now is arguably the biggest driver of value for Amazon as they are approaching this trillion-dollar market cap milestone. Uh, and the same goes for, for Microsoft. I think we've seen 10 years ago, they were talking about desktop PC shipments. Uh, and more recently, Satya, who's now the CEO, was appointed CEO having run uh, their cloud business, which is widely credited with allowing them to exceed the, the, the $1 trillion milestone in terms of market cap. You know, so it's no longer the case that the cool kids in the, uh, in the tech world are only the consumer internet companies. Uh, it used to be the, you know, the Facebooks and the Airbnbs and so forth. Uh, and these days we're seeing folks like, uh, like our friend Toby at Shopify. So here you have a German entrepreneur moved to Ottawa, Canada, uh, out of frustration, uh, with his attempt to sell, to start a, a snowboard shop selling snowboards online. He ended up building a small shopping cart that ultimately became this $30 billion market cap business that's driven a massive amount of value, a massive amount of, uh, of hiring along the way. And also, I think, is another example of uh, great enduring companies that are being founded and built outside of Silicon Valley. So fast forward a little bit to some of the statistics that we've seen over the last year that also give us confidence that this cloud trend is, is, is real and, and persistent. This is the number, the amount of M&A that we saw in, in 2018. And most of this M&A activity has really been the legacy vendors buying their way into this cloud wave. So Red Hat, one of the largest M&A deals in the cloud space last year, acquired by IBM. You know, IBM was in a situation where they were really jammed, right? They uh, had fallen behind this latest wave of cloud innovation, uh, and they had to acquire Red Hat in order to execute against their hybrid cloud vision. A similar story with SAP buying Qualtrics. 
Microsoft buying GitHub. Uh, we also saw BlackBerry, uh, which is you know, one of the old guard companies, uh, buying Silence for about a billion five. Uh, and actually, uh, more recently, just in the last week, we saw Google acquire Looker for 2.6, and now Salesforce buying Tableau. So that trend is continued. In the public markets, a very similar story. Uh, these are, this is 61 billion that was added in around the last 17 months. 2018 saw about $44 billion of value added to the public markets. Companies like Dropbox, companies like DocuSign, uh, and that has continued now into, into 2019. So far this year, we've seen PagerDuty. Uh, we've also seen Zoom, which had a fantastic IPO and has more than uh, almost doubled uh, since its IPO to about a $26 billion uh, market cap. And just yesterday, uh, CrowdStrike, I think many of you know, went public and also increased by something like 70 or 80% from its, its IPO price. Uh, and we also have other companies in the pipeline now, like Slack, which is uh, imminently going to be doing its direct listing. And so we're expecting that 2019 will likely either exceed or, uh, sorry, rather meet or exceed uh, the same metrics from uh, the same stat from 2014, 2018, rather. And another thing we look at, um, you know, to 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 sort of you know take a look at the future is is our Cloud 100. This is uh, this is a group of companies that we've put together at Bessemer in partnership with Forbes, and it's released each year in their September edition. Uh, and it's a list of uh, what's put together through an independent judge uh, assesses as the leading 100 top cloud companies. Uh, and these companies, as of, uh, as of recently, uh, command about $200 billion of value. So I think the reason this is important is, uh, well, two reasons. One, it's notable that just in the last year, for the first time, the number of these private cloud unicorns exceeds that of the public ones. So we've got a really healthy backlog of companies, and it continues to build. Uh, the value beyond the top 100 is also increasing really dramatically. So we think this is a really good leading indicator for the health of the industry that we're all building together. So it's been a great decade uh, to be a stakeholder in a cloud business, whether you were a founder, an employee, or an investor. But the question we get asked quite frequently is, when is this going to end? How long, how long can this last? Um, now, I'm a, a venture capital investor. I love charts like this that are up and to the right. But I've also been doing this long enough to know that the path to success is rarely a smooth up and to the right curve, right? Uh, it's, it's more often a very turbulent uh, experience. Uh, and the reality also is it takes a long time to build these companies. Uh, the time that companies are staying private has been extending. It's often much more than a decade to build one of these cloud unicorns. And so I don't know when the current bull market's going to end. It may persist for the next several years. It may, uh, you know, it may persist the last several years. It may, you know, go away in the next few weeks. But I do know that because it's taking so much longer to build these companies, chances are that if you're a founder of one of these companies, you will hit uh, an economic speed bump along the way. Uh, and it's very likely that you'll hit a more severe market correction. And sometimes you really can't tell whether it's a short-term blip or it's a longer, likely to be a longer-term correction. Uh, if you look uh, more recently in December of last year, that was the worst performing month for the NASDAQ in history. Uh, and then you contrast that with January, which was actually the best performing month in history. And then last week, I think we had a five-day uh, period where we had the best performing five days that the NASDAQ had seen in seven and a half years. So the volatility is real and, and can be quite severe. And so you know, what can smart founders do when they think about how to manage this volatility, how to build uh, resistant com resilient to companies? And so that's really what I want to talk about now. After hearing a lot of discussions about this topic at, at board meetings, 
we went off and we did some research. We tried to put together a framework that I'm going to walk you through that'll help founders think through how to build a resilient company. And we've identified four key areas. They're all linked, as we'll see a little later on. But one of the first questions we often get from founders is, what's the right growth rate to target? What's, what's you know, a, a mix of both realistic as well as perhaps a little bit aspirational as a growth rate that I should target in, in building my business? And so what we did is we went out and looked at a sampling of the most successful public cloud companies. And we've listed a few of them here. And this shows the time it took these companies to go from a million of ARR to 100 million of ARR. Uh, now these are outstanding companies. Um, you know, some of them represent really the cream of the crop. If you look at Slack, and I recognize they're not a public company, but we've included them because they're imminently, uh, we, they will be. They got to 100 million of ARR from 1 million in three years, which is just incredible. I think that's probably the fastest we've ever seen a company get to that scale. If you contrast that on the right side, companies like Blackline, also a very successful company, a multi-billion dollar public company, it took them about 13 years to get to this, this level. So as we dig a little bit deeper into the data, we decided to take the, uh, the data set and segment it. And we looked at the performance of the median, the top quartile, and the bottom quartile in this, in this set of uh, successful companies. And what we see is the median company, the median uh, successful cloud company, is getting to this 100 million mark in about 7.3 years. The best companies or the top quartile companies are doing it in a little over five years. And the bottom quartile, it's usually taking them a little bit more than 10 years. So it's, it's informative, it's interesting, and yet 10 years is a very long time. And most of my focus at Bessemer is early stage investing. And I would suspect that most of the people in this room as founders uh, are also early stage entrepreneurs. So the natural question uh, that, that gets raised is, well, how do I know whether I'm tracking from an earlier stage, right? If I'm at a million of ARR or five million of ARR, how do I know whether I'm on track to, uh, to ultimately build one of these, these cloud companies, these unicorn cloud companies? And so uh, the next thing we did is we put together this BVP uh, growth benchmark to understand how your company is tracking. And we looked again at the data from both uh, a large data set of both public and, and private companies. Uh, and so what we see here is, uh, is this question of how long does it take to get from among the companies in each of these buckets that achieved these, this 100 million mark, how long did it take them to go from a million to 10 million of ARR? So starting with the companies in the, in the good bucket. So what does good look like? Well, achieving 10 million of ARR in four years puts you in the good bucket. And this implies a growth rate of about 80% per year over that time period. These are companies like Blackstone. They're companies like Cornerstone On Demand. So it's no small feat to grow your business at 80% year over year for four years. But if you're able to do that, you're in very good company. The better companies will, will achieve, the same, uh, achieve the same in about three years. And so that implies a growth rate of about 115% uh, year over year. And the pattern we saw in these companies was not so much a linear growth rate, but more frequently they're going from 1 million to 3 million and then roughly doubling for each of the next two years. A good example of that was Coupa Software in its, its earlier days. And then the best companies that are uh, getting to 10 million in two years, uh, these are companies that are growing at around 215% year on year. They're doing a little bit more than tripling. An example of that company would be, would be a Twilio. So if you're looking to build a cloud unicorn uh, or you're looking to build a successful enduring cloud company, hopefully this gives you a, a little bit of a better sense for uh, whether you're tracking at the earlier stages of the company's evolution.
So we've talked about growth. The next topic in, in, our, in our framework is, uh, is retention. So once you've acquired these customers and you start to scale the business, how should you think about the investment needed to, to retain those customers? And I would argue that retention is probably the most important of, of these categories. So uh, the first thing to note is that uh, retention is really going to differ depending on your market segment. Uh, if you're selling into the mid-market uh, with ACVs of something like 12K or uh, up to 50K per year, you can expect 80 to 90% gross revenue retention. And net revenue retention, we typically see something in the 90 to, in best cases, 120%. Uh, contrast that with uh, companies that might also sell into the SMB segment of the market where the ASPs, the average deal sizes, are lower. Uh, you know, SMB businesses just go out of business much more frequently. And so the gross retention numbers are going to be lower. In fact, I think the annual uh, rate of SMB failure is about 10%. And so and that's why, you know, the gross retention rates are about 10 percentage points lower in that SMB segment. Now, it's important to realize that the churn is higher, retention's lower, the average deal sizes are lower, and so obviously you can't spend as much to acquire those customers if you want to maintain the same lifetime value to CAC for each of these segments. And again, if you contrast it with the enterprise segment of the business, these are deals that often are 100K ACV, maybe even a million dollars or more. We generally see that these companies, these deals, it's far more expensive, usually requires an outbound sales motion, uh, far more expensive to acquire these customers but they stick around, and the retention can be, uh, as we'll see a little bit later, uh, you know, much, much higher. The third tactic I wanted to quickly talk about is, uh, is cash in the bank. So you know, now we figured out, we talked about growing your customers, we talked about how to retain them. So how do you raise the capital that you need to scale that operation of adding ARR and, and, uh, and improving retention? So we like to recommend that you manage your runway and you buffer for contingency. You know, a lot of things can happen out of the blue. Uh, you can face product launches that are late, competition arises, price commoditization maybe becomes more expensive to acquire customers. Uh, so it's really helpful to make sure you always have a buffer. And we tend to recommend that you raise financings that'll last you for between 18 and 24 months uh, of, of runway. The last point here is that hiring can really be a big lever. Uh, in these SaaS businesses, your people are your most likely your greatest asset. They're also likely your, your greatest uh, cost base. And so uh, investing in hiring and investing in HR, and then also on the other side, being really uh, you know, careful about making changes uh, quickly when needed can really help with managing runway. You can't talk with a founder about talking about financing. Our recommendation is that you think one financing ahead. Uh, this example here is uh, showing you market multiples over the last several years. And I think what you see here is that uh, it's been very volatile, and if you had raised your capital, you know, your round of financing in March of 2004, you might benefit or have been rewarded by that 10x multiple. But if you missed, and it took you two months longer to close that financing, all of a sudden you're in a market environment where multiples have dropped by 40%. And maybe your investor isn't going to retrade, but it's in an uncomfortable position to be in when you're negotiating those uh, definitive documents and the market is, is tanking. Um, similarly, if you had raised in 2014 uh, and then your next time of raising is, is this February 2016 when the multiples had cut in half, you could have a company that has doubled in size by that point in time, but if the multiples are now half, maybe you're raising money at around the same level. And so I think that's one of the reasons why we've been seeing so many companies raise money you know, six months after uh, you know, their last financing because they want to make sure they have ample runway so that they don't run into uh, one of these scenarios.
Um, and so the last tactic I want to talk about is, um, is efficiency. And this is the question of how do you balance the prior three? You know, how do you, how do you figure out how much to spend and when? There's a metric that many of you may be familiar with called the rule of 40. And this rule of 40 is something that is applicable for me measuring efficiency of later stage companies, usually public market companies or later stage growth companies. It is ARR growth uh, plus your free cash burn. If you're not familiar about it, familiar with it, don't, don't worry about it. But I mention it because we've found that it's not really as relevant for earlier stage companies. So companies below 30 million of ARR, we tend to find that a much better way of measuring efficiency is through looking at this uh, score of net new ARR divided by cash burn. And so why is this important? Well, the reason why this is important is that I think we found that in bull markets, investors reward growth. And they may not care at all about how much cash burn is required to get there. Uh, in fact, we've seen time and time and again that high ARR growth companies often uh, have premium valuations when the market is really hot. But in all other market conditions, if it's flat, if it's down, the market rewards uh, efficiency. And so we generally recommend that you really focus on efficiency instead of ARR so that when the market does turn, you'll still be rewarded. And so what's a good efficiency score? Again, having gone through a, a large data set, we typically saw that something between 0.5x and 1.5x uh, represented a very good score. And some of the best companies, as we'll see, have scores above that. One example I'll give of one of the best companies out there on this metric was uh, Shopify, which is a company that in around 2011 had about 12 million of ARR. Over the next 12 months, they added another 12 million of ARR, and it cost them two million to do that, so a 6x efficiency score, which is really uh, putting them in, in, in the best-in-class category. So, you know, we're really excited to be the, you know, part of your next, uh, next company, your next adventure, and thank you for having us here today. OWL Labs introduces the next wave of collaborative tech with award-winning connected devices and services powered by AI and predictive technology. Winner of a CES Best in Innovation Award, the Meeting OWL Pro is a 360-degree conferencing camera that's changing the way teams connect, no matter their location. Visit owllabs.com to learn more and visit us at Saster Annual in March.